Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash wondery, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash wondery to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash wondery. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom takes into account dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs to build a plan that works for you. Everyone's journey is different, so your daily lessons are personalized to you and your goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your free trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 840. 840 episodes, Katie Levine. That's a lot of episodes, That is so many episodes. We're coming up on seven years. How many hours is that? I mean, some uh, of them are like an hour and a half. Someone so. could figure it out, but you'd really have to go through and yeah. because the there's such a sliding time scale, yeah. like you know, it's a shit ton of hours. <laughs> I think Ma- Malcolm Gladwell would say that we are experts, but he would. But uh, Malcolm Gladwell's ten thousand hours. I think I we're think only we're at that. No, we're not. I can't do we're math. not. No, 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 no. We're not. We would only be at uh, we we if we're lucky, we're at fifteen hundred hours. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, an average of an hour, yeah, okay. you know, 840, yeah. and, you know, some are a little bit more, some are a little bit less. I failed math every year, so. <laughs> well, it's not important. You don't need it. Katie, what's going on in the old Nerdist community corkboard? I got a couple cool things for today. Uh, Jupiter Zerqua. That is this person's name. That's a fucking cool name. Uh, <laughs> well, well, Katie's dropping the F-bomb. Cool that name. must mean she's into it. Uh, their band, Stuffy Doll, they're releasing their... Uh, debut ep today and it's called the retention pound and it's free slash pay what you want they wrote recorded mixed it themselves and they're super excited to get it out there it's four songs about lethal creatures fragile young psyches misplaced affection and everything else that might lurk in the florida swamps uh, you can find them on soundcloud Bandcamp, instagram twitter and it's all at stuffy doll band and so definitely check them out and then this i really like so this guy alan deanda he recently went to the art science gallery in austin and he saw a really cool exhibit on dinosaurs and he just thought the whole place was really great but while he was there he found out that they're in danger of closing due to lack of funding and right now they have a uh, fundraiser going on to try to, to to make money and do they know how much money they're trying to raise I think it was $20,000. I looked at it. So and for, so, when you started the story, I thought you were going to say, he went and noticed that the dinosaurs are endangered. <laughs> Instead of endangered, be closing, you're saying the dinosaurs are endangered. Yeah, yeah, they're endangered. The dinosaurs are endangered. Yeah, they're super endangered, they're you guys. They're super endangered creatures. Oh, and Spielberg killed that one uh, uh, 
What was it, a stegosaurus? Oh, that was so funny. So, how could when he? People were so mad about that photo. Yeah, so just in case anyone so listening funny. doesn't know, someone posted a picture of Spielberg with one the of triceratops. the triceratops. The triceratops, yeah. the triceratops that Laura Dern examines from the original Jurassic Park. It was just him with the the, the big robot that they used. <laughs> and uh, and then they posted like, I can't believe he killed this dude. And yeah. people were like, Hey, that's fucking wrong. <laughs> But oh, yeah, the so, so the comments, you got to read the comment <laughs> thread on that is incredible. But this place sounds like a really great museum and they have a lot of cool, they have classes, you can have your parties there. It just sounds like a really great place. And so uh, again right now they're doing a fundraiser, so if you go to artsciencegallery.com, you can find out more info on how to donate to save them. And I like that he wrote to us cuz he's like, I know you guys like science and maybe the listeners would be interested in helping this. I this guarantee museum that out. there are listeners who are interested in helping that yeah, so artsciencegallery.com. Check it out. Don't let the dinosaurs die twice. Uh, this episode's Tracy Ullman. I mean, <laughs> talk about a, a comedy icon. Yes. And uh, so super cool. You know, I, because sometimes you can tell when people show up and it's like, oh, they didn't bring any people with them. There was no yeah. publicist. There's sh- no network person. There's no, and I don't, <laughs> I don't mind when that happens, but it's, but yeah, but, but it's different. You know, like it's interesting to see. Who comes with a posse and who just comes by? The- Tracy Ullman came by herself. Yep. Super down to earth. Super great person. Super hilarious. I mean, every she's so inspiring. And she has a, a new show back on HBO. Tracy Ullman's show is Fridays at 11 p.m. Uh, you can see it on HBO or HBO Go, HBO Now. Definitely watch it. Support this human being. She is uh, she is a tr- she is a global treasure, and uh, what a what a wonderful what a wonderful conversation to have with her. So thank you to Tracy Ullman for coming on this episode. Katie Levine, let us now begin the Nerdist Podcast number eight forty, which is a delightful round number, uh, with Tracy Ullman. And away. Now entering nerdist.com. Yes. Well, you can you can save the box, but the Kit Kats inside are delicious. Beautiful. I know. They. Really happen? Yes, of course you can. You never believe things in with Japan, you know. Because you can't buy them everywhere. They don't sell their stuff like. I know. Well, they but they they've clued into the fact that Americans love their weird Kit Kat flavors because they have a million different. They have strawberry and cantaloupe, and they make all these crazy ones, taro root. And so now they, they actually, you can get them at their airport when they're there. You know, it's like their duty-free shop has stacks of, of uh, wow. multi-flavored Kit Kats. I highly recommend them. Yes, please, of course, of course, of course. I'm a bit early, so... No, no, that's all right. and I'm settling down. Your coffee, everything's good. But it's so... Looking it's looking so professional. It's so... Oh, Katie, yeah. Katie, Katie, Katie's being really professional. Katie is the most professional. Katie produces pretty much all of the podcasts that come out of our company. And uh, I don't know how she... How do you listen to scores of people drone on and on for hours Boy. about things? How do you... And then when she's done listening here, <laughs> she'll go home and listen just to make sure everything sounds right. And, the, and like, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> How long have you been doing this particular podcast, Chris? Wow, almost se- seven years. Seven years. Wow. This is our, we're into the, 
almost the 900s of episodes. Wow. Yeah. It's a good one. You do really well with it. Oh, yeah. thanks. I like it. I like this, and I like... There's, what, what's the other one I listened to? The, the Way We Were with Katrina... Somebody. What's that one? It's all about Hollywood. Old Hollywood, The Blacklist, oh. Joan Crawford, and she does all these That's things. Amazing. It's but it's really good and well researched and she's kind of I like that one. Does she have guests on or she just does she just sort no, of walk you through it's just the, her talking the entire time. And then she'll and Joan Crawford said, I won't sign that contract and, <laughs> and she does like tries to do sort of acting as the cat. It's very funny. But That's, she it's really brilliant. I like that one. What an amazing time. I can't decide if I would have wanted to be in entertainment in that era or if it just feels like, what a strange... I mean, those people just lived in this weird studio system bubble and did not... I mean, it's so different now, but really just didn't interact with anyone outside that, it doesn't seem like. And they were protected and and, and, uh, and too sheltered. And But then when the system spat them out, like, you know, there weren't... I feel like now people have so many options. There's so many options that you can mm. you can mm. do because you can reach your audience directly. But at, at that time, there were just these entertainment regimes that controlled everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's the studio probably. This was a TV studio. But, yeah, there's all these. I do get fascinated by old Hollywood now. You're right, in that old system and people like Joan Crawford and how she got into it and then... Yeah, and they get to 33, and then, you know, I remember my, my old friend Jay Preston Allen, who used to work in Hollywood years ago, she said, we saw, like, an actress who was, like, 33, and we walked past her on the lot. This was, like, in the late 40s, and somebody said, she'd be good in the picture. She went, huh, come on, look how old she is. She's a, oh, she said, she's a real mercy hump. Oh, my God, that's terrible. She was 33, you know. That's terrible. Yeah. But is the... But I would imagine the the British entertainment, obviously run by the BBC, that's a completely different. What's the evolution? What was the evolution of that? Like, so if you're you're a you know you're a young, you had a bit of a studio system in England. You had J. Arthur Rank, and you had you know Charlie Chaplin started there. I mean, well, and you had Alfred Hitchcock started there. You had Bray Studios and Elstree Studios, and you know you had lots of you had uh, films being made there, and the. Um, lots of wartime films. So we had a bit of a studio system. And uh, and then they would try and come here. But, you know, we had a bit of that. But you blossomed out of this amazingly fertile British comedy soil. I mean, I watched everything. I mean, as much as... This is in a pre-internet era. As much British comedy starting in the 80s as I could. Mm-mm. Because it was so... It was just... It was so different to anything we had here. It was mm. such a wonderful, you know, the young ones, uh, you know, oh, any of the... You, you, you worked with those. Yeah. You worked with Yeah, the... I knew all those guys, the comic strip. And I wasn't really in that group, Chris, because I was like a actress and I was came out of theatre. And I remember going to see them all in like 1981 in Soho. And uh, Alexis Sale and Rick mm-hmm. Mayle yep. and all the guys from the young ones and Dawn French and Jennifer Saunders, who went on to do absolutely fabulous and... I remember seeing them in this seedy little strip club kind of theatre, and I remember Alexi Sale coming out and going, "Hello, we're, we're alternative comedians." People say to me, "What's an alternative comedian?" And I say, "Fuck off, cunt." <laughs> and it was just like, "Whoa!" It was like punk, it was like you know? punk movement. And then Don and Jennifer came out and they pretended they were Americans visiting, and they were wearing kilts and tam shanners, and they talked about having cancer. Oh God, we got cancer! And it was like 1981. You go, oh, 
this is really different and good because you know we had boring people on the TV like you know it was just it was exciting and then um but I was never felt like one of them because I couldn't do stand or it wasn't a stand up person but then I did work with Dawn and Jennifer we did a series together called Girls on Top with a girl called uh, Ruby Wax oh yeah um, of course yeah but uh and it was great to see girls getting to do stuff, you know. So that was exciting to me. I can't believe it's, it's, it seems strange to me that you never. I mean, just with the character work, that you never thought, oh, I could do that in a stand-up setting. I didn't like stand-up. I mean, I liked that comic strip stuff. That was cool. But if I ever came to, I think I came to California in the early '80s and I saw some stand-up somewhere. You know, was everybody talking about airlines? <laughs> right. Anybody? Anybody just taking a flight? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bad. Right. <laughs> you get your. And I thought, is this what stand-up is? And there was a woman came out. And she went, "Hi, I just hit the big four oh, four orgasms in a night." <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it was that kind of rhythm? Right. That kind of just. Uh, I just thought, oh Christ, is this you? Mm-hmm. It was talking about you know, Tampax and airlines and you know, right. how bad your parents were. And I, I don't know. I, 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 if I'm a character, I can do it. But I don't want to stand up there as me. Right. And that timing and that... I mean, of course, there was extraordinary people. Like, then I heard Lenny Bruce. Right. And I'm like, oh, this is what it was really about, you know. And uh, Stephen Wright and really weird people and um, really early Phyllis Diller and stuff. And But I always like playing a character or being within a scene or writing something. And, um, and like, early, when I first came to America and I was going to work with Jim Brooks on doing the Tracy Ullman show, and he, he said to me, go and get a, a real grounding in American comedy and what women have done, and then you'll know what to do when you come to be on television, which was really smart because you can't just go on TV and just, like, what am I going to do and just impersonate people? I've So I was really here for a couple of years before I went on television and, right. and really integrated a bit into American society. I lived here, I'd had a baby, and I used to go to the Museum of American television right. on the Fifth Avenue and uh, watch Imogene Coker and Ernie Kovacs, your show of shows um, with uh, well, Ernie Kovacs, sorry, his own show, but Sid Caesar and Imogene Coker. And I really looked at all the early stuff and Gilda Radner and Carol Burnett and Lily Tomlin. And I thought, wow, there were so many more American women doing it way before English women um, had the opportunity. Um, there was lots of English character actresses I admire, but to have your own comedy show, you know, like Lucille Ball, obviously the queen, you know, starting it in the 50s. So it was really exciting to me. Um, but so many of those early performers, to a degree, it's, including Carol Burnett and going back to Lucille Ball, they were always kind of themselves. You know what I mean? Like mm, they were always... Yeah. They were always a version but, of themselves because they were the kind of the driving star of the thing. So that's... Yeah. You know, people were bought into that. Well, character. Lucille Ball was. I think Carol Burnett did a lot of them. She did a lot. But, of... Yeah, but the, her warmth and her. Yes. She's an endearing person. It always came through, and America trusted her, and they love her. Yes. Yeah. She and, comes and, through. And even with Carol, you're, there was always because I the Carol Burnett show was, um, was amazing, and but she was always like, there was always kind of a wink of like, but she's Carol. You know what I mean? Even with yeah. the ridic- no matter how ridiculous the the characters yeah. were. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but SNL and Gilda, oh, like that era, really sort of brought in this whole new wave of that was kind of you know that was alternative comedy for America in the seventies. It was great for sure. Know. I mean, there'd always been Mike Nichols and Elaine May yeah, had yeah, done yeah. their stuff years ago, and Chicago Second City had mm-hmm. been around. It just hadn't been televised, really. Right. You know, it was in clubs in Greenwich Village and stuff, and um, and so that satirical 
political humour was... I think we had more of that in England than... You had always had Saturday Night Live, which is fantastic, but when I got here in the early 80s, it was mainstream uh, TV. You know, broadcast TV was really sappy. It was, <laughs> you know, the Miller Boyette... Mom, can we eat pizza? Because we learned a lesson today. We really love, you know, that Aww. stuff. And I said, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Did they get the canned? Yeah. The, 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 <laughs> 80s, 80s was really like, oh. they went from canned laughter to the canned awe. Exactly. <laughs> and they canned that shit. Yeah. I know. And it had to be endearing. And, and of course, I was like, you made me want to vomit. I was like, please. <laughs> you know, I remember they wrote, wrote some pilot for me and it was really sappy and... I just didn't. I was like, wow, really? Um, So, (laughs) yeah, I couldn't bear all that stuff. And that's the sort of stuff that used to be on at 8 o'clock in the evening. But in England, it'd be on at 3.20 in the afternoon. It was like for um, the under eights in England. (laughs) We're like, oh, take the piss out of this. But there was always great stuff. It just, you know... uh, and Saturday Night Live was, but you couldn't put satire on political satire on the television in America in the eighties. I remember they we had a great show in England called Spitting Image. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, with and puppets. with the puppets, yeah. and it was Fluck and Law, and it was really subversive. You know, and we had we were making fun of Thatcher, and yes. we had a puppet of Ronald Reagan. You know, with his brain bouncing behind him down the corridors <laughs> of the White House, and it was the president's brain is missing. You know, and he'd be going, I had uh, to tell you, yes, well, um, well, <laughs> and you know. Uh, we just took that for granted in England. I remember the NBC put it on here, and it was off within two weeks because it was just too cruel. But and, you know what made you know. it? But Genesis, the video for Land of Confusion, had all the spitting and yeah, puppets, that's and they right. had all that in there. And so there was a period of time in America where they were a thing because of that, because of that music video. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I remember right. so it, know, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't around. No, and it was sanitized a bit. And well, it's NBC. It's hard, you know. And, I mean, I heard that years ago Johnny Carson made a joke about Ronald Reagan's hair and said, oh, the president's decided to just go red, you know, instead of go gray. <laughs> and Nancy Reagan rang the show and said, please don't be mean about Ronnie, you know, he's such... And he went, oh, OK, you know, is that I mean now? Right. It's like, wow, it's free-for-all, isn't it? Did you ever audition for SNL? Was that ever on your docket? No, no, um... I just, no, I, I, and, and I must admit, although I'd seen Gilda Radner and stuff, I think at that time, Chris, it wasn't the greatest show for a woman. Sure. After, you know, uh, it just went through a period of, till I think, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler being a very type A ma- male show. Yeah, because they had, because in the 80s, yeah. they had Julie Louis-Dreyfus on, and they barely used her. Exactly. And, and Norma Dunn, and Nora Dunn, and yes. Jan... Jan Hooks. Hooks. They had a tough time, those girls, on that show at that time. They really did. And I was... I wasn't a stand-up kind of wacky. I think I went to a party at Lorne Michaels once and in his apartment in New York and everybody was, like, you know, doing stand-up by his fridge at some party. It just seemed like, oh, my God, you know, it was like <laughs> you really have to really try hard, don't you? Um, and that was the period where Chris Guest and Martin... Yep, they were on for that uh, season. Yeah, they were on for that season. And, and I thought it was great. I just didn't think that it was great for girls. And I had my sort of thing going with Jim Brooks to do my own show and things, and I just thought, I think I'll be safer and... <laughs> do my thing there I think they asked me a couple of times to host and I wish I had I just remember not, not having the time and being a bit scared really um, because it wasn't quite what I did although I think it's fantastic and it, I'm so glad we have it and it oh, I think you would have you would have destroyed what are you talking about your I don't character know. would have I don't destroyed know. well I I just was I never did it but I do appreciate it was the so the the very first time I saw you was the music video the they don't know about us music video mm-hmm. and then just kind of going, hey, she knows Paul McCartney. Like, what was the what was the connection point to that? And so, how did 
obviously I know you did theater, but that did that kind of explode your career a bit in the states? Did that give yeah. you the? So how does that come about? You know, with your with your doing comedy, you're working with Jim Brooks, and you're doing theater. How does this? How does that happen? Well, I just um, I'd done a television series for the BBC in England. It was very Saturday night mainstream. Me and a black comedian called Lenny Henry and another guy called David Copperfield. And it was pretty, it was called Three of a Kind. It was pretty great. You know, we, we did all sort of, you know, Saturday night family stuff. But we also put in some bits we really wanted to do and weird stuff that I was trying to do at that time. You know, just being strange Ken Loach kind of improvisational characters who lived in flats with fungus and their husband in prison. You know, this like realistic stuff that I used to like to do in the BBC. would go, it's a bit mad, isn't it? It's, it's sort of, sort of well, why don't, you do more, yeah, why don't you do more traffic warden jokes? I'd say, I don't know. I want to do something a little weird or I want to be men. And they'd, really? You want to be a man? Why? Um, and, of course, the BBC was run by five men in bow ties at that time who had worked, you know, who had been in, in the Second World War. So it was a bit of a strange environment. But you have to I was, sell jokes to them? You have to, like... Yeah, you had to, like... And I, they would... Um, I'd say, right, I'm, I'll do this show, but I'm not doing any traffic warden jokes. I'm not wearing a bikini, because that was like Benny Hill. I'm not going to be the butt of any sexual jokes for the men. I said, but you're not going to want me to wear a bikini, because I'm flat-chested, right? And they'd go, what? Whoa, I don't know about that. We can get something in wardrobe. But it was... Oh, you know, it was odd. It was a man's world, you know? It was... Uh, it was. No, but I had a great producer, Paul Jackson, who produced The Young Ones. Mm-hmm. And he found a crop of us young people in the 80s, and he said, listen, I'll take you into the BBC, I'll take you to chat, just do whatever you want, I'll protect you, which is kind of what Lorne Michaels did with everybody, and that's what you need. You need these great people that you can get under their wings and, like, you know, take you on, like James L. Brooks, and he's like, we can do this show and I'll protect you against, you know, we won't let anyone in the studio doors, and, well, you know, so they take a chance on you and they give you this great environment, that's what you need. Um, so from that fame of being on a BBC One show on a Saturday night, I just kind of tried anything. I remember being, you know, I liked singing. I remember being at my hairdressers once and this girl leant over and said, my husband runs a record company called Stiff. And I knew it was a really cool label, you know, with Elvis Costello and Devo and the uh, great T-shirt she was wearing, which I really wanted one. It said, if it ain't stiff, it ain't worth a fuck. <laughs> and I, I said, she said, will you come and talk to him about making a record? I said, yeah, if you give me one of those T-shirts. And she said, all right. So I went to see this very cool label. And God knows what they took me on. You know, they had Madness and Devo oh and Lena Lovitch. And, and they, I was like uh, Nick Lowe and Rockpile and Dave Evans. They used to do all my backing tracks and Kirsty McColl. And I was with this fabulous group of people and I was felt like a bit of a, you know, I mean, I wasn't the real deal, but I, I was fun and I sang into my hairbrush and I made funny videos and, and it kind of worked. But uh, I didn't think it was a long-term thing. And then were you completely surprised when that <laughs> exploded? Yeah, well, it, it did. I, I, you know, it was fun. I had a couple of hit albums in Europe. I buzzed around Europe for a couple of years and did the MTV, you know, at the start of that, those sort of shows that were, um, in Germany, it was called um, Musikladen, yeah. <laughs> it was very funny, Tracy Ullman singing, uh, very funny, <laughs> we are, uh, you're crazy. I said, all these crazy shows, crazy, crazy shows and sell records and I mean, I was number one in Norway for two months for selling like 8,000 records I think, you know. <laughs> so I used to go to Norway, hello Norway! And then I, um, they released They Don't Know in America and it got to number eight, I think on the Billboard charts and that was really exciting to come to America and 
and then MTV had me be a VJ. I was terrible. Um, I think I just did it for like a month, like filling in for Martha and Alan and JJ and all those people. I mean, really silly. Um, That's when MTV was really fun. Oh, God, it was fun. Yeah, it was they, on 10th Avenue and they had a yeah. pool hall and, you know. Because they were still kind of fucking around <laughs> yeah. and they, they had, had that young, like, oh, we're, you know, we're counterculture. And, you know, MTV was, MTV played Monty Python. They played Young Ones. They, like, they played really Did cool. Did they produce podcasts? Yes. Like yes, yes. That's how I first saw the Young Ooh. Ones was that they played on MTV every, you know, like yeah. every, oh, every so day. Yeah, who put it out. Yeah, right. yeah, it was MTV. And then they, play, they yeah. played, you know, obviously, they, again, they played Python and you, you could only ever see Python occasionally, kind of like Doctor Who. You could only see it on PBS. Like yeah. Occasionally they would play it on yeah. PBS. And then, you know, a few other British sitcoms like Keeping Up Appearances. You know, it's like there were a MTV few. show. No, not MTV. No, that's P- P- PBS. classic PBS. Yeah, and so classic. they never showed them on the network. So there just weren't enough shows. It's like yeah. Faulty Towers. Right. There were 17 of those made. It's nuts. And that's all there was. You know, of course, CBS wanted, they offered John Cleese, I think, you know, wow, can you do 26 a year? He said, well, I don't think so. It wouldn't be very funny. <laughs> and they're like, well, you know, we need that much. That's how the sort of, you know, orders that American TV wanted. So, um, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. It was great. You know, it was really cool to be in New York and discovering all the new voices I like to listen to and people. And, uh, um, and at that time, I also was in a movie with Meryl Streep called Plenty. So I was this weird girl that was like a pop star with a hairbrush. I was in a movie with Meryl Streep. And then I moved to Hollywood and I got pregnant, you know. So it was like, <laughs> and then I did this show with James Brooks. It was, but they're all varied things, you know. No one could pigeonhole me and I don't know if they still can. I mean, I try anything, do anything. But it sounds like you don't, it, it, it feels like you're immune to the typical structure and the rules of the internet. It's like you just make your own stuff. I do, I mean, yeah. you, you, it's, it's very, spiritually, it's very much like what people now go, oh, I'm just going to make stuff and put it on YouTube. It just, you did it and it was on television, like, and it was like a, a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, maybe so, yeah. And I also, I was married for 30 years to a, a producer, television producer, my husband, Alan McEwen. Um, he sadly died three years ago. Um, but, we didn't always work together, but we did a lot. And he gave me enormous confidence to come here. He had a house in the hills here. He'd been here in the 70s. You know, he's one of those English guys that hung out with Harry Nielsen, you know, did a lot of drugs. <laughs> um, and, who, you know, Marty Feldman. He came over with Marty Feldman and the Pythons. And, you, you know, he was really, he was a real, he was 15 years older than me. And, you know, we got married here in 83. And he, so I had a place to be. And I wasn't one of those English people that came over and stayed for a week and got took a couple of meetings and said, well, marvellous, and Pasha will telephone me. You know, I was here. I said, great, I live up here. I committed to being here, which makes a big difference. Um, but, yeah, we always did our own thing. And if we were frustrated by the system or the networks or whatever, you know, Alan would we'd find a way to finance the show. Like, you know, we did it in Eng- did them in England first and then brought them here. And he, was, he did many, many shows in England. And, and so I had this fantastic partner. We were sort of like... Um, we were like a Cockney Desilu. <laughs> me and me and my owl used to say she's a nice little earner, my Trace. <laughs> oh, that, well, this is the original I Love Lucy stage on the wow. other side of this wall. Yeah, this was yeah, this was a. But that was such a different. I mean, you even hearing that you had the <clears throat> the, the fortitude at that time to say. Well, this is what's happening with women in comedy, or this is what's happening normally, and I don't want to do that. I want to. I still want to make my own thing, regardless. What was it that? Try, yeah. What was it at that time when the rest of the business was going one way, where you said, "Well, I'm. I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it this way, and I'm going to make it work." Well, 
Well, I think you just got to... What's important to you? I wasn't ever desperate to work. My life with my husband and my children was always the much the best thing and most interesting foundation and everything. So if I got a great job or there was something I wanted to do, that was great. But it wasn't a do-all and end-all to me to work. To be fa- I'm as famous as I want to be. I don't want to be... I'm not publicity kind of fame. I like the work. I don't like all the stuff that goes with it. I mean, I just I don't know. So I, I was lucky I got to do what I wanted to do. You know, my husband was working and I didn't have to work. I had spent many years bringing up the kids and if something came up. But it's, I've always come back to this same format, which is multi-character, mm-hmm. me explaining the world through various personas. And I've done that. As I, I mean, that's why in my latest show I have a little title track you know my little opening sequence is me on my mother's windowsill in her bedroom when I was six I used to do the Tracy Ullman show for when I was a little girl in my mother's bedroom and I'd be everyone in our village and everyone at my school and I'd be talking about you know the world today as you know <laughs> as Miss Cox you know the lady that lived opposite whose fiance died during the first world war <laughs> and um you know I'd be in it's just that's what I've always done. I realise I'm still doing it. My goodness, and I'm 56 now and I'm still doing my version of it. And I return to this format. So it makes me very happy and I'm very eclectic. And uh, I just enjoy being lots of different people because it. I never used to impersonate famous people, which I've started to do. But they're great because you can use them as like Trojan horses and they get attention. I mean being Dame Judi Dench and Angela Merkel in this recent show. You know, it's not something I thought I'd ever do, but I make them sort of... I, I I don't do direct impersonations. I sort of, like, give them a character or give them a problem or make them more me in a way. I sort of think I um, interpret them. So, but, um, you know, yeah, I mean, I, like, I ramble off and deviate, but I, I guess I've always just been able to do what I want to do because if I didn't want to, if it wasn't what I wanted to do, I didn't do it, you know. I'm, I'm fortunate in that way. Uh, and um, I'm lucky I'm still doing it Uh, and that I've gone back to the BBC after 30 years and, 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 you know, and I realise I could do this till I'm 80, hopefully, you know, because... And still my idols are people like Gilda Radner and Peter Sellers and Alec Guinness and doing those multi-characters and... uh, and still, it's my inspiration. Did you ever meet Gilda? I did very briefly in a supermarket um, <laughs> uh, by the Beverly Center. I'd just done my first shows for Jim, and she was just shopping. and And I said, "Oh my goodness, please, can I, you know, shake your hand?" It was that moment. I said, "I'm so sorry to bother you." And she was wonderful, very kind, and uh, we said we'd get in touch. And then she was, I think, I think she must have been diagnosed a couple of months later because I never heard from her. Although she, and I think she got sick about that time. But um, yeah, I did briefly, you know, got to my little moment. And I rarely would rarely approach a famous person. I think I've approached Elvis Costello and uh, <laughs> we were on Andy the same Rooney label. <laughs> from you're 60 Minutes. I think I stopped him on a walkway in New York. <laughs> I nearly killed him, you know. And he was like, ah, hello. So I went, Andy Rooney, I just got to say hello. I've been in this country. Also, I really like that bit at the end of 60 Minutes. I've got to tell you, you and you go things like, when you say things like, umbrellas, you can't live with them, you can't live without them. They break. <laughs> this umbrella. And he's like, yes, 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 yes. Oh, he's he had already. Well, I almost. I think I almost killed Max von Sydow at the at the Creative Arts Emmys this year. Well, because we were 
we were get like leaving the auditorium during the commercial break, so you only have like two two or three minutes. Yeah. And he was sitting on the end, and I just thought, when am I gonna? I, you know. And I normally don't bother people because no. it rarely turns out. No. You're rarely clinking glasses on a yacht. You don't say. You never. It's rare that you say something, and they're like, "Well, that is an insightful bit of wisdom that I had never." Let's have drinks for everyone. And so Max von Sydow was sitting right on the end, and it was very dark. And so I kind of just I was walking by, and I just leaned back, and I just lightly touched his arm, and I just said, "I think you're amazing." And I barely got the word "amazing" out, and he just goes. No! Like, I don't know if he thought the cold hand of death was reaching from the darkness oh, to grab it. Oh, he's a senior. But you he, scared a senior. I scared a senior. I scared. You'd think the three-eyed raven would have seen that coming. Oh! But he didn't. That he we didn't. did in that Max von Sydow kind of a he way. He didn't. Wow. Yeah, it was like a no! Like, he just, whatever it was, he didn't want it. No, and uh no. And I felt bad. And uh, and then all the people that I work with are like, hmm, nice job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, almost killed that guy. Good job there. Really nice job. So it, it 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 reinforced my idea of don't go up to people. No. Just let them be. Yeah, let them be. Let them be. be. They know. They know. They know exactly. you're not going to say anything. You're not going to say anything that's yeah. going to change their lives. And, yeah. Uh, so I think it's why part of the reason why I am almost overly approachable when people come up. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Let's sit down, please. You know, because I just don't ever, I don't yeah. want people to feel like. Yeah, people are nice to me. They just go, my, you're like my cousin. She's crazy, too. <laughs> You know, I just get. Thank you. Think, I'm always look like somebody. People tell me I look like you. And you think, oh my god! So many people say that to me. Well, it's probably because you you change. You know, like you do so many different characters, so maybe they just see something different. You know, like you're. They no, see a lot of know. different sides of you. Well, they say, "I've oh, got it." Yeah, it's nice. Usually, them women as themselves, and you think, "Oh, please, really? <laughs> wow, I forgot to get my roots done too." You know, it's like, but uh, no, people are very nice to me. Was Elvis Costello uh-huh. nice to you? Yeah, because I kind of knew him from years ago, being at Stiff, but I didn't care. I had to say hello to Elvis sure. Costello, and he was eating split pea soup. So there was there was an opener. How's your soup, Elvis? <laughs> is there a good Every day I read the book. <laughs> Every day I eat the soup. <laughs> yeah. So uh so when you're, cool. What are you seeing when you because I imagine that all day your brain's just kind of absorbing stuff in the world and you're kind of filing things away. So you know, when you were first amassing stuff for the very first series, for the Fox series, what were you, for the first American series, what were you thinking it was going to be? Did the show end up being what you thought it was going to be? Um, yeah, I trusted Jim Brooks. I mean, I knew I was very lucky. I realized that, you know, he put together this team of people who'd written on Cheers. And I had this uh, wonderful, wonderful old writer called uh, Jerry Belson. Uh, who'd worked on the Dick Van Dyke show. Oh, and wow. All, you know, him and Gary Marshall were partners. And they were just, he was kind and funny. And I warmed to him immediately. And uh, he was the nice one where I was working really hard. He'd say, leave her alone, Jimmy. She's tired, you know. <laughs> and he was one of those funny writers that if you said you didn't like a joke in the room, he'd go, what is this, Nazi Russia? <laughs> You know, he was one of those older guys. He always had the funniest kind of lines and that put upon kind of, you know, I I know my tombstone's going to say, I did it their way. <laughs> and he would have, you know, and I, I so was with all these people that were, you know, kind of 
<laughs> like I'd been doing TV shows in America for a while, and they were all little. Oh, that's not funny. Oh, come on, honey, funny. And I was like this little Pollyanna English girl. It was sort of funny. I just knew that I had enormous energy, and I'd try anything. And then they began to realize that that they could really just try throw anything at me, you know, and see if I could do it. Would I do a trapeze sketch one week? Yeah. Um, would I hang upside down and sing? Yeah. Um, but the best stuff was the real character stuff we developed and the warmth between myself and Julie Kavner, mm-hmm. who I was brilliantly, you know, they cast her, um, and Dan Castellaneta, mm-hmm. who now the voice of Home of course. And we'd found him at Second City in Chicago and... I really had insisted he be on the show. We went to see him in one of the Chicago, you know, Second City shows. And he was just fantastic. He made me cry. He played like a blind comedian or something in this in the show and, and was so poignant and so brilliant. I just said, oh, I can't do it without that guy. He's wonderful. Um, so I had a great cast. And Zaria was on Murray too. Like it was basically... Up. Huh? Wasn't Azaria, Hank Azaria on, on the original? No, no he, he wasn't. did The Simpsons. And then about a month into the show, we decided to do interstitial cartoons, yeah. um, you know, animated segments. And Back when and Homer that, talked like this. Like, yeah. They, they looked like that weird version of... Yeah. yeah. And Matt Groening, you know, came in and showed us some ideas to do an original thing. And I remember him coming in with a picture of Marge with the blue hair. And I've been thinking, wow, this is amazing. And um, then they would come in and say, oh, who's going to do the voices? Can someone come and do some voices for this cartoon? And Julie was like, well, I'm not, I'm not rehearsing. Well, sure, you know, I'll do it. So Julie was March, and I was always busy doing other bits. So and they'd go up and record stuff, and then, of course, The Simpsons happened, which was quite extraordinary. Uh, season 30, they're, like they're picked up through season 30. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm, it's amazing. Um, but, uh no, we start, we just developed this show. We had like all these turntables that had all these set, sets so we could put three sets on each turntable and we'd just, you know, they would ask me if I had some characters I'd like to do or voices I'd heard or people that I wanted to impersonate and I would just come in with stories and thoughts and they would, you know, get put into sketches. And, and But I had wonderful writers and wonderful... It, it was like doing a pilot every week. I thought we did 37 shows the first year. I nearly oh died. Oh, my God. Well, but it was the crazy. Show was, the show was cool, like especially at that time when you talk about... All the other sappy shit that was on television at that mm-hmm. time, it, it really was cool. Like even the fact that you would meet with Matt Groening, like Matt basically just did these underground comics. Mm-hmm. You know, like I used to see him in my alternative newspaper, Life and yeah, Hell. You yeah, know? It's like, like, yeah. How do they know about this guy? You know, like well, it's very, Heidi Perlman knew about him. She was very cool. One of the writers on the show, um, but Jim was just like, open to all that stuff, and you know, Sam Simon and. Uh, just great people around me. And Fox was new, and they didn't they have were, anything to lose. They were taking risks. And they very, very much wanted Jim to do a show, and he you know, he was very successful, and he could call the shots. And But they did other good stuff. I mean, you know, Married with Children, that was one of the first Fox shows, and right. that was pretty great. Yeah. Um, so it was a – and I was a girl on a – that no one had heard of on a network that didn't exist. So, you know, we had a chance to really – just do what we wanted to do. When you finish that show, did you feel like you? When you finish a something like that, do you mm. just do you need to take a break for a while to get your head? Yeah, back together? it was a. Uh, it was sad to end it, but it was exhausting, and it was. Um, I did it. I think we did it for like nearly four years, but it was yeah, it was a real home. It was really great to 
go in any that any you know just try something new every week but you know yeah you do run a little low and then to wait a few years and come back and do HBO Tracy takes on mm-hmm. show which yet again it's multi character but yeah I'd had time to live and go in the outside world and observe people and store up on you know what's going on in the world again yeah you do and I spent some time in England and travelling. I always got out of L.A. whenever I could. I don't want to be in that showbiz bubble. Right. Or bubbles. You know, I would always get out and about because I think you, I thought it was very important. Yeah, it feels like the just from what I'm gathering, from what you're saying, it feels like the way to be immune to all the shit that comes out of this system here is to just not really care about all the stuff that powers it you don't you didn't care about being famous you didn't care about the money you didn't you just cared about the work Uh, and i guess if you just care about that then there isn't really a way to be (laughs) sucked into the undertow of too much no i mean just you know i was very very lucky i had a wonderful marriage and children and and just a really great home to go home to and to be supported in and it's just so important you know it was and I was curious about so much else and you have to keep that you have to be a person too as well as an actor I know it sounds a bit cool but you know some people are just so obsessed with the business and I don't know (laughs) it's up to them but I I just I don't don't think I was ever that way and uh, still the work matters so much to me and Julie Kavner too I mean god she was just obsessed with the work and how good it was and you know she's a sort of pretty reclusive person and she was just we were just all felt that way I always loved her. I loved uh, I love Rhoda's weird sister. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> and Dan said to her when he first met her, he went, you know, I remember when you were on the show and you said you were lonely and you wanted, like, a boyfriend. I wrote into the show. <laughs> so, sweet. so sweet. Yeah, Brenda said, you know, I'd like a guy. And he said, I wrote to the network and said, if she needs a boyfriend, I would like to. That's so sweet. Yeah. That's uh, so sweet. Well, how do you, you know, how do you stay connected to, because... When people start to become successful, I feel like there's the they get very comfortable and there's sort of a cushion between you know ah, I don't want to I want to live in my comfort bubble here. So how sure, do you particularly? Sure. Well, listen, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's, I'm very comfortable. I'm bloody hell. I mean, I came from Hackbridge. I had a fish and chip shop and a sewer work where I grew up. So I'm <laughs> thrilled how, to be a bit but comfortable, stay, Chris. Don't get me wrong. No, but how do you stay connected to you know to how do you stay connected to the world and not fall into the trappings of you know, eh, I want to be in my protected bubble here, which is very comfortable, and I don't have to. I don't need to go out into the world and experience something. Like, how do you manage to stay authentic and connected in that way? Well, I think you take time off, and you just, you know, go out and do your own shopping, and get on the underground in London. And people say, "You trace your," and I go, "No, why would I be on the train? <laughs> That'd be so stupid." <laughs> Just say that, you know. They always think you're going to drive around and have assistants and yoga teachers and act like an arsehole, and I don't know. And it's like, I don't know, you just got to keep it real, don't you? What do you want? I don't like a lot of fuss. Boy, I'll tell you. it's I, I hear what you're saying, but at the same what time... What do you like? You a bit of an arsehole then, Chris? What's I, your story? Well, how, are listen, you, how are you keeping it real, I'll tell kid? you. I, I feel the trappings <laughs> of it. I you, feel what the, are the trappings? What Tell me what's what's happening. Is, is, being, is getting too... 
getting too comfortable in your own bubble and not challenging yourself because you're like, God, ah, it's all too much work, or I can send someone to get that, or I don't have to. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's because you, you spend... got kids. No, not yet. Well, I just got married. So, well, that's good. Yeah. Well, wait just... till you have a child. You won't. You won't think of yourself so much. Well, oh, look at he's got his little wedding ring on. Oh, that's the nice. wedding ring on. Thank you. Cool. One. Thank you. This is a this is a strip of dinosaur bone. This is a meteorite, and that's really antler. Yeah. Wow, who yeah. made that for you? Just a guy. I, I, you know, the internet. I just went onto the internet and I was like, I saw meteorite rings, and I. Because I was... know it's authentic dinosaur bones. This I guy, don't. It's a guy on the internet, I Chris. Know. I'm a little concerned here. I, all What's that this matters, guy's name and where is he? All that he? matters is the story. His... <laughs> Has your wife got one too? <laughs> no, she. Her ring. She is... didn't go for the dinosaur. She didn't bone. go for the dinosaur ring. Okay. She, she got a nice. She got a nice. She got a nice ring. But I. But her, her engagement ring was her grandmother's ring, which is an insane ring. So that. You know, that didn't really – when I asked her mom permission to marry her daughter, she was like, okay, and I'm going to give her her grandmother's ring, you know? I was like, well, that sounds nice. So, uh, yeah, so that'll work Where's out Where's she well. from? Connecticut. She's, oh, but her so mom lives a, in the rest of her family. Is she an actress, your wife? She is now, yeah, yeah, yeah. she is now. Um, but uh, she's very – she's great. But, it, it, but just – yeah, I went on and uh, found a guy who – Meteorite, dinosaur, and you're right. I really don't know, but uh, but I'm going to keep telling myself that that's what it is because it makes a, no one ever. Well, where are you it. from? Tennessee. Do you go back to you see your family? And do you like go to back to that environment? Well, my and stuff? my dad passed away in 2013, and I haven't really I haven't been back to Memphis since because mm. uh, it just. I don't know. My my stepmom still lives there, and my dad has a business there still, mm. but it just feels weird. It just feels weird to go back. Yeah. When he's not when he's not there. I, yeah. I know I will at some point. Uh-huh. But you were there for a lot big part of your life. So you weren't ever you weren't it, yeah. a Hollywood kid or anything like that. No, 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 no. But it you know, it's just that there's so much struggle and there's so much rejection and there's so much, you know, get down and stay down, you know. <laughs> Uh, in America? Wow. Yeah, exactly. See, everyone's well, told they're special here. In, this, I know, in everyone, California. Everyone gets a participation state. award. What? You mean no one's paying attention <laughs> to me right now? I don't that's understand. Well, you're from Tennessee. That's good. I wasn't given any, uh, you know, I wasn't told I was special no. or that I was talented or that, you know, I could do anything I wanted to do. And I think that stays with you all your life, you know. It's like when my kids were went to school here, various parts in their life, and they were, they were like, you're special. And they'd come home and we'd go, no, you're not. <laughs> You know, we're just me and my husband, Alan, from Hackney. We go, no, you're not. They go, but they told us we were special. No, you're not. They're You've lying got to earn you. it to They're be special. My, my teachers hug me. Don't let them hug you. We'll, we'll hug you. In England, my teachers don't hug me. Good. You know, we were just always very... That, I mean, I love America. I'm an American now, but that optimism and that energy and the excitement and all the wonderful stuff here, but there's a commonsensical English thing, and we don't have great self-esteem that remains in you and maybe keeps you a bit humble or keeps it a bit What do you think that is? (laughs) It's the class system. (laughs) It's, uh, you know... Because I feel like English culture, if you try to be like, well, I'm very special, then oh, the Asian culture is like, kick you in the fuck egg, mate. you. Fuck yeah, you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's you like know, that, uh... exactly. You know, if you say, here, if you go, I'm doing this, they go, oh, that's great. Good for you. In England, they go, hmm, huh? How did you do that? It's like how uh, how did David Blaine suspended himself in a in a glass cube above oh, the Thames, and then and then people were hitting golf balls at it. Sure, yeah, that was cause... a really wanky thing to do. <laughs> 
you can't do things like that in England. People were below showing them his, their dicks and like, oh, yeah, wanker, get out of there. You know, that is a really stupid thing to do in England. Yeah. Because no one's going to admire you. They're just going to take the piss and throw, oh my God. Well, throw the first, burgers at you. The honestly. first time I ever did stand-up in, in London was at a pub. Did you? And it was uh, it was brutal. It was great, but it was brutal because the person introduced me, this next comedian's from Hollywood. And everyone was like, oh. fuck off, cunt. <laughs> like, I just heard this like this wall of the word, this oh, wall of cunt. Really offensive, Just from yeah. the back. Yeah, sure, sure. At that point, it didn't really matter what I said. But it no. was a, what a fun, it was, it was like a... It was like a steeplechase. It, it, it makes you feel like you're alive. Yeah. But it was, it was yeah, really fun. Yeah, we're not... Uh, yeah, we're, we're tough. We're tough on ourselves. So that yeah. hasn't... That sort of participation award culture has not leaked over there yet? Or are you... Is Your it, special it, stuff, no. We have a few life coaches, you know. <laughs> oh, you God, you know. Um, no, not too much. There's a lot of... Re- self-revelation of type shows which I never thought would happen in England you know the started about 10 years ago you know those uh, DNA shows and the talking about your personal life stuff which I couldn't believe was happening in England yeah, I, I do like a drink I think I'm an alcoholic you know and you go <laughs> what they're saying that in public um, and you know we embrace Americanism and you know it's but it's not quite I don't know. It's it's our class system. It's still there, and uh, the royals being the very pinnacle of it. Um, I was sort of a working class girl. My husband was a working class guy, and his dad was like very much. Why do we pay their millions of pounds to be better than us? About the royal family, and you're just very aware of your class in England. And when you open your mouth, you you know where you're from, what you can aspire to, where you've come from, what you can. And it's just still prevalent, I think. Yeah, but how did you? How did you not get sucked into that part of American culture? Because you've been here for a while now. Yeah. But I, I know you have dual citizenship, mm. but how much time do you spend here and how much time do you spend there? Oh, well, I mean, you know, I've 30 years of my life pretty much here. I mean, I, my, uh, my husband, as you know, passed away yes. a few, three years ago. And I went, I've been back to London to sort of spend time with my daughter. My daughter always liked living in England and my son lives here. Um, I've really, majority of the last 30 years I've been in America, yeah. Uh, I don't sound American, do I? Um, no, but, but... I mean, I, I live simply and I like to work and I think Los Angeles is a fantastic place to work. There's a great working community and there's a side of L.A. that people don't understand. As maybe you know that, you know, you go to work, you get stuff done, you come here to instigate what you want to do and you do it. If you want to go off and be photographed every night and take part in openings of things and there's that public side too yeah. but it's not always like that and it, it upsets me when people come from England and make documentaries and they go straight to Muscle Beach and where they paint dogs toenails gold and where they're putting collagen from people's asses into their lips and they think that's Los Angeles and it kind of upsets me because there is a really great working right. artistic you know it's a great music scene here we have great radio stations we have great you know um, art galleries and food and it's a very cosmopolitan city compared to when I first moved here right so uh, but you know you live the life you want to live and you do the things you want to do it's kind of funny you say that I, was, I don't know why it made me think of this but I was the last time I was traveling back from New York which is just like a week and a half ago I feel like I was, we were talking to like the gate agent or something and we were just talking about 
like paparazzi at the airport or whatever, and they go, yeah, they just, you know, they wait, they'll wait by baggage, you know, and mm. and then she just threw in this thing that made me laugh. She goes, but of course, if you know, if you're the Kardashians, you let them know you're going to be there. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's right, that's right. It's all, it's <laughs> yeah. all engineered, you know. It's also well, it's if also that's what they want to do and do it, you know. That's what they. It's. Uh... I guess I do think we're. I I do think we're so obsessed with the idea of attention in this country at any cost. Yeah, it's yeah. just like it doesn't matter what kind of attention you know. It's just like the naughty kid. Oh well, you're not giving me attention. Well, I'll do that. Hi, well, just knock that over. How about it. now? How about that's now? How somebody just got elected president? Yeah, you know. So it's and everyone's attention span is just so tiny now. I mean, it used to be a three week news cycle. Now it's a, it became a week, and then it was thirty six hours and thirty six minutes, and God knows what it is now. You know. Oh my God. Well, yeah, cause we're we're no being one. so everything is so analyzed to the point of. Do we really need to dissect that thing that much, or you're just trying to fill a you know a, a quota of I got to get ten stories up today because that's what gets this thing traffic and it's, it's like exhausting. That side of the commerce I think is poisoning the kind of philosophical and spiritual nature of of the world because people are seeing all this stuff. It's like oh well, this is I'm looking so far into whatever it is that's happening here instead of just living my life. You know, instead yep. of just enjoying my life or being around, it's just, it's, 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 it's too much. It's exhausting. I mean, listening to, listening to the news when you get back to America, you know, it's, um, coming up a report from Mosul and a nasty sort of editor, <laughs> unlimited shrimp. You know, you're, oh, everything's unlimited, unlimited this, unlimited that, everything's unlimited, but there's especially unlimited shrimp. And you go, oh, calm down. <laughs> and every time I come back, there's always George Foreman on going. Oh, people say to me, George, how do I get my ideas patented? I talk to my friends and invent help. He's always on. That's on a loop. I got to tell you, though, that George Foreman grill is pretty great. Well, that's because, you know, so many people have come up to him and gone, George, that grill is fantastic. So he's had to do the thing at invent help. I invented that. The handyman in a can. And then I find myself Googling immediately. Does that stuff work? No. Maybe maybe what we need in this country is limited shrimp. Maybe we need... <laughs> exactly, Chris. Someone's got to say to the Americans, "Enough, kids. Enough. It's limited. You're not special, and there's not going to be unlimited shrimp." And get the fuck out. <laughs> and you're going to like it. You're, you're going to savor like them, and you're yeah. going to taste them, and yeah. you're going to focus on them. Because you're not special. No, don't take a six one. Get out. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I just, I just worry that we're losing our coping skills. Like we're not going to be able to cope with anything because everything's so <laughs> coping skills yes. in America. <laughs> Honey, how are your coping skills? What? Why are you asking me that? I don't know. I don't know. I need a hug. Well, but it's the need for self-examination in this country and the roller coaster type. People love this drama. They do love it here. You do love it. We're addicted to drama. We're addicted to drama and things happening and breaking news. It's not breaking news, you know, but that's what's (laughs) happening more and more and more and more. It's getting faster and faster and faster and people are getting confused and uh, unfocused. And so to try and bring it back to me, all you try and do now is that you think if you get your show on, which this show at the moment is uh, my 
Tracy Ullman's show. I'm I'm thrilled that I'm, you know, at this time in my life and I've managed to get a show on the BBC and then it goes to HBO and then you get your element of response and your audience that, that it appeals to or it comes back to you. It's it's really gratifying and I've had lovely comments on the show saying, you're still here, I feel safe again. I've had <laughs> stuff like that the last few weeks, like I'm, you know, the mother of mother figure. Let me breastfeed you. Come here, let me do my impersonations and soothe you. Yes, I'm still around. Um... You get your little window. You get to say your thing publicly that, you know, interests you. It's really a, an achievement. Um, and to do it in a way that keeps your integrity or in a way that you're enjoying is I'm really, really proud and really lucky to have that. I'm, I mean, it's, it's, it's a privilege still. You know, and I mean that. I mean, I'm not being a humble. I'm, you know, it's like to, a privilege to be asked by the BBC at this time to get to do your bit. And it's exciting. So what was different for you about this show? Like, what was it that you felt like, you know, in this in the evolution of all the different shows, the iterations of the shows, what was what was it particularly about this one that you felt like, I really have something to say and this is what I want to say? I wanted to say something about global hubs, you know, that Britain is this, when I started this show two years ago, a global hub. New York's a global hub. Singapore's a global hub. It's globalism. It's like, you know, people come into England every day, they get thrown out they get asked to stay they get smuggled in it was all these things like calais immigrants coming in under camper vans i was seeing all these stories and and how with this multi-ethnic melting pot and how fast and england had become and it was and i love you know there's female leaders like angela merkel i wanted to be angela merkel i like when she's speaking to you know everybody trying to do her english and she was from east germany originally and you say, I want to be Angela Merkel. And people are like, why? But I, I do. And she's become such a bit of a star on my show. And then I have Angela singing. And so I, I wanted to, to <laughs> interpret. And, of course, I wanted to have Americans visit. And because I'm this hybrid, you know, I wanted to, this people coming in and out of England. Um, and that was an exciting uh, premise for me. And I found a lot of writers who had been working on Veep in America who were English, but were working in America and England, and so therefore we had that same right team writing mm-hmm. in a room kind of um, dynamic. And, you know, it was time to talk again and how I felt about the world and finding characters and, and doing a character called Kay, who I've been doing for 30 yes, years. Yes, of course. Who, who lives with Mother. Mother's 103 now. She's marvellous, Chris. She really is. I don't know when she's going to die. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm still a virgin, but... <laughs> mustn't crumble and to think that you know she's still with me all these years I think she is a part of me and she was somebody that I worked in a bank when I was 17 (laughs) and um you know she was the kind of woman that wore a pen around her neck and and had things on her desk like you don't have to be mad to work here but it helped (laughs) you know that you think oh bless and she would keep sanitary napkins and stamps in her desk drawer (laughs) because and and I said, why does she do that? I said to one of the girls who works there, and she says, because she knows that other girls will come up to her and borrow things from oh. her and she can talk to them. Oh. And that just kills me, the sadness of people and yeah. the loneliness. So I'm still doing K all these years. And now I've got K back in England again, which is pretty great. Um, so I want to be those people again. And, and I keep K's wig with me wherever I go, whatever country I've lived in. And where, and, and it sounds really 
tragic, doesn't this, guys? How sad is this? And it's like she starts speaking to me again every few years. Shall we do a show? <laughs> then she's doing it all again. I don't know, Kay, you know, I'll have to try and raise the money and, you know. Oh, we'll do it. It'll be marvellous. Mother's still alive, you know. We can make fun of her again. All right, Kay, we'll do it. <laughs> uh, I'm still a virgin. Yes, we know you're a virgin, Kay. That's what's funny about you, Kay. You're her best friend. I'm a best friend. I remember her calling me the real Kay when I first moved to L.A., and I had to talk to her about my bank balance. She went, Hello, Miss Alden. How's Hollywood? <laughs> Does she have any idea? No. I said, have you ever been here, Kay? No, but Mother loves Joan Crawford. Um, so, you know, every few years I want to be Kay, and it makes me happy, and I get out and I do it, and, it, you know, if it makes other people happy, great. Um, so I'll keep doing it. And how do you... What would you say to people who want to make their own thing or have something in them and maybe they haven't quite figured out what it is or how do they, you know, just advice about perseverance or advice about making your own thing? Because I think no is a very powerful word. You said no. It sounded like you said no to things that you didn't really feel passionate about. And I think we're conditioned to like, we got to work no matter what. You just got to get in there. You got to work. So how do you how do you find that balance or how, you know, what would you tell people who want to essentially make the thing the way that they feel like it should be done. Well, if you can write yourself, do it. Because, and especially if you're an odd-looking bird like me, no one was going to call up, you know. I had to make my own stuff, really. I had to... You know, I wasn't a conventional-looking girl. Uh, if you can write, do your own thing. And, and there's so many more ways to do it now. I mean, there's so many more ways to get noticed now. You know, YouTube and, you know, digital platforms. And there's so many more people to sell things to. And it's a much better time for women, definitely, now than it ever was. Um, so I'm speaking as a girl doing this. And it's don't get overwhelmed, you know, pace yourself. And if it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel true, or it doesn't, you know, don't do it. And just there's life as well as a career. And, uh, but you keep getting out there in the real world. Don't live in a bubble, like you're saying, you know, you just, yeah, I sometimes I see shows that are great, but they're all about people's neurosis and people's world made worlds before they got famous. Then you always think four years into the show, you think, how are they still writing this show? They don't really know what's going on in the real world anymore. Right, right, right. Is that an odd thing? You know what I'm saying? It's a few shows like that. And you think they're kind of almost doing old fashioned angst now, you know, that's not what the world's like. Right. (laughs) And so I guess that doesn't happen with my shows because I just play all tons of different characters I'm not playing you know a version of myself or you know one person um but I, I gave myself till I was 23 I said if I'm not if I haven't made it I can't work with you know make a living from being an actor I was going to be a travel agent or do something else and just get out and you know and you don't necessarily have to be on the tv to be doing this and it being fun right you know my daughter doesn't isn't an actress, thank goodness. She uh, works for an international medical charity, but she's the funniest mimic and I know, but she's brilliant, you know. But your I, son's in a my writer. bedroom at one in the morning making me laugh, but she doesn't have the need to do it publicly. Right. I think some people are lucky to not have to do this publicly. My son's an actor and he's a uh, Works in the writer's room on uh, James Corden's show yeah. right now. He's having a good time. And he's, he's really... Mother, he's so talented, Chris. I gotta tell you, <laughs> this kid's a genius. He's beautiful. Really? He's handsome. He's Do you have a wall full of pictures? Oh, my God, he's so talented. <laughs> he's genuinely good, but he's going to find his way. It's all about confidence. Yeah. And how do you think people find that confidence in a in a world and in a business which is constantly... I almost feel like... 
that's part of the challenge. Like if you can overcome that, that's the that's the trial, yeah. and you sort of you know you can kind of earn it. You can earn the success that way. It's like yeah, I kept getting knocked down, but I figured out how to go around it. Yeah, no, it's uh, like Jerry Belson said that what fabulous writer from the Dick Van Dyke Show. Funny is money, <laughs> not funny, no money. Yes, <laughs> it was very simple. <laughs> uh, you know, breaking news week two. <laughs> Unlimited, yeah, limited shrimp. Week two no. of shrimp rationing. <laughs> People are lined up in the streets. Yeah. Where's all the shrimp? That's it. It sounds like an onion story. It is it? a onion, yeah. I love the onion. It's always about losers. They just like write their pieces are always about guys, sad guys who worked in video stores. It's about the... It's, 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 why I love the onion is they celebrate the loser. When I first came to America, nobody celebrated a loser. Then I saw Broadway Danny Rose by Woody Allen. I thought, <laughs> they're celebrating a loser. Yeah. That's English to me because everyone was always a winner. Well, I feel like a lot of our protagonists now are all... Deeply flawed, fucked up characters. Now they are. Like now there's they are. not, you know, it's. I think it's weird if someone is too much like a. It's a golden child, you know. Everyone is Doesn't super happen. messed up. They're and, secretly bipolar. Yeah, they're secretly struggling with medication. Do you feel like? I mean, you know, because you referenced Peter Sellers, who was notoriously not a great guy. I think on a personal level for a lot of reasons. Oh, no, he had his... I think they say he had his demons, Chris. Yes. I don't think you say not a great guy on a personal level. I think we'll say he had his demons. He had, de- he had some uh, dragons. Had some demons. had some dragons to slay. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, there's that part of comedy, too. It's like, oh, well, do you have to be that fucked up to be... But, but no, you don't. Yeah, you seem... that's a girl. You've got to be nice. You've got you to be seem... jolly on the set. Otherwise, you can't act like a twat. No one's going to want to work with you. <laughs> really? God, I see the way some people behave. I, you know, do my years in the business, and you think, you're so rude to everybody. Who do you think you are? You can't believe it. But those people don't know they're doing it, though, right? They don't even, they don't know it. Then they wonder when a light gets dropped on the head in the studio (laughs) and the teens are like, yes! (laughs) It's lunch! (laughs) Forever! Yeah. Um, well, I hope I, your your new show is Friday nights on HBO. Yeah. At eleven p.m. Yeah, Tracy Ullman show. Still doing it. I'm so glad you're back on television. Oh, thank you. It's I been really, really nice. You're a nice bloke. No, well, I. Congratulations on the the marriage. Thank you very much. I would have that analyzed. I don't know. No, it's a real I don't want to know. Nah, you don't want to know. No, you no. don't want to know. It's it's. Uh, was it's, it a limited edition or was it no. unlimited dinosaurs? Well, you know, it was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Unlimited dinosaurs. <laughs> All the dinosaurs you Unlimited want. Unlimited dinosaur rings. Well, this guy, his, his name is Johan, and he lives in the Midwest with his wife. And my wife, who was my fiance at the time, <laughs> like on. she, she really liked, she really liked him. She was like, "Oh, I talked to him. He's very sweet. They're gonna have the, they're gonna have the ring, you know, just in time for the wedding." And they're gonna, so they seemed very nice. They seemed very nice. But well, I almost feel like good luck to you. The story of it is really. The story of anything is the most important thing. Makes us laugh. Look, you were in the comedy business. Look, it's a funny story always, as well as nice. This could be... I don't know what it could be, but I I, I feel like it has to... I'm going to assume that it's forever it's going to be dinosaur. Because if it's not, then nothing is true. And then my ring (laughs) is a lie. So I think think it's going to be dinosaur. And have a kid. If you want to have gonna. kids, have them. That's nice. That that really stops you thinking about yourself so much and provides enormous amounts of comedy material. And then when they get older, you become a permanent figure of fun. So there's more <laughs> comedy. It's just comedy. Having kids is just comedy. Well, that's a good attitude about it. I just feel like I'm going to be a real stressy parent. Don't uh, be uh, – uh, should we go? Your nose is no, right. No, 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 don't tell them they're that special. Okay? No.
All right. Just remind them every day. Yeah, humble. Yeah, yeah I was from Memphis, Tennessee. You know how tough that was? Little bastards. It's tough out there. I rode around in a truck. We didn't wear a seatbelt. We didn't have to wear that. Oh, my God. No, I remember when I was growing up, my dad... <laughs> yeah. Well, my mom, my mom's very overprotective. My dad was, uh, my dad was a professional bowler, so like he was. Just, he? I grew up in the pro bowlers tour, so my dad, very sweet guy, but you know he was like a, you know he was like a guy, like he was a bowler, you know, like really? didn't wear a seatbelt, you know, no, drink a beer while he's driving, you know, like you kids that. in the back of the truck with a Pepsi, yeah, 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 just like that yeah. kind of thing, you know, that kind of thing. My, my parents were both very different. My mom was very sheltering, and my dad was yeah. like, "Yeah, hey, it'll be fine." You got you know? brothers and sisters? No, well, I have a I have a half brother, right. but we didn't grow up together. Are you an only child? No, I have a sister. I have a big sister. That's amazing that this, because what you do feels like, oh, that's an only child. That's someone who is entertaining <laughs> the themselves. Yeah. Push back the furniture. Tracy's going to do a show. Oh shit! No, I had a big sister. It was the Patty Olman show. I was a spinoff of her show. She really? Used to, yeah, she used to let, allow me to be on her show. Yeah, I'm like the Simpsons from my sister's show. Yeah, she was the big bossy sister. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you still? Are you guys still close? Oh, yeah. oh, that's good. That's really nice. I listen. I don't know how often you're in Los Angeles. Anytime you want to come back on, yeah, we'll see what's going on. Come on now. and shoot the shoot, shoot the, the shit. shit, shoot the shit. Yeah, talk about stuff. Yeah, we'll see how you're doing with the marriage. Get and some the shrimp and that. Yeah, we'll get some shrimp. I'm going to go get some shrimp now. I feel like we have to go get shrimp at some yeah. point. <laughs> I feel like we have it's to. It's been fi- lovely to talk to we you. We have to Thank find some unlimited shrimp. Why Thank do you so- call the show the Nerdist? Do you consider yourself a nerd? Um, well, I yeah. I mean, it was it was a significant part of my entire life. It was um, was nerd was nerd culture, <laughs> oh, really? and it was never when I was growing up. It was. I mean, now it's like. Now it's a it's like a cool thing to say like oh, I'm a nerd I'm into nerdy stuff I see people say it all the time yeah, yeah. and uh, and I even get called out people are like you're not a real nerd that's the that's the new insult when I was growing up it was you're a nerd that was an insult now the insult is not a real nerd so that's how I know that it's uh-huh. all come about but yeah when I was growing up proto nerd culture was not glamorous or fun or <laughs> it was you it was sort of assigned yeah. to you because you were into weird obscure things that you know yeah. computing video my games my son was like they comedy. think he was nerdy because he liked British comedy shows yeah but well, the nerds were the boys that went you know yeah. like, like did you know that would video game noises those are all my all friends those are my friends shut up <laughs> we had to entertain ourselves yeah. we had to entertain ourselves yeah but chess club trips and Latin club yeah. and like it was it, wow. was it was pretty real it was pretty real <laughs> But now, oh, bless him. Na- now it's such an aesthetic, you know, like before it was really, and now you can sort of, you know, I yeah. mean, look, I, I, you could just have this Star Wars wallpaper and be like, look how nerdy, you know, so I don't know. I don't know if yeah. it means the same thing anymore. No, it doesn't. You're it's, right. It's definitely You're become right. diluted and yeah. uh, I'm probably responsible for a lot of that and, and I'm sorry, but, you know, I just, it, for me, it was all about trying to be accepted and be into stuff and not be ashamed of it. You know, so that's yeah. that's part of why. Yeah, and I think with the the sort of philosophical underpinning of our show is really just about getting really granular and human about things, which I think is kind of nerdy. So, so that's why you wouldn't come on. Some people in the beginning were like, "Well, I don't play video games. I can't come on." Or like, "No, it's not about that. It's just yeah, about yeah, just, wondered, just yeah. talking about you." You yeah. know, you're so a that, retro nerd. Retro. Yeah. Then yeah. now it's like the Big Bang Theory and the Revenge of the Nerds. You're a nerd way. <laughs> yeah. You were a loser a long time ago. Now that, Chris now that that's hipsterism right there. I was a nerd before. It was cool. Yes. Oh, now you're a hipster. Yeah. Shut up. No, you are. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's all right. But I, uh, I, I hope you had a good time. 
And I did. Uh, I'm lovely. excited about your show. Thank you very much. And please uh, have a have wonderful holidays. I will. Coming up. Did I you have a did you did you did you celebrate our Thanksgiving holiday? Yeah, I'm, I'm American. I love Thanksgiving. I love it. I yeah, I really Do you like cook a big meal? Yeah. Yeah, we had a great time. We all go around the table and give thanks and be very sort of un- I used to have a, a Thanksgiving dinner for all my British friends in every year here, and it was really funny getting in to go around the table. <laughs> and go, uh, uh, hello, uh, I'm uh, Simon. I'm a bit embarrassed, but uh, yeah, it's really nice to be here. I'm thankful for, um, well, you know, anyway, thanks very much. You know, and, they, and then by the next year, they'd be like, oh, I can't wait to talk about how I feel this year, you know, and they began to get more and more emotional right. every year. Uh, but I love Thanksgiving. No presents. It's great. Yeah, no presents. Yeah, well, present season coming up. Oh, boy, is it coming up. Got to get those presents. Got to get those presents. They waved at them in that bloody diamond store and the flipping <laughs> cars. You know, if you really love her, get her a car. Uh, oh, if so you gross. really love her, get her a car. If you really love someone, <sighs> you would uh, make them the present yourself and spend some time on it and make it special. Yeah, you go, like a real nerd. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right, um, that's the end. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Oh, I feel like you should... Did we ever turn the machine on, by the way? No. We've got to start talking oh, now. Oh, yeah, we got to start. <laughs> oh, this Thank was you just, very much. This was just us talking. And now, go home. Go it's home. A blast from the past. Go, go home. <laughs> go home. I never knew how to end the show, so I just went, go home. <laughs> and then Fox said, it's, it's, it's a little aggressive. We're a little concerned. Our marketing department, Jim Brooks, said, leave her alone. She, if she wants to say go home, she can say go home. That was the magic. You had that was the, the magic. You had the Jim Brooks on I had the Jim Brooks. Uh, everyone needs a Jim Brooks. Yeah, we get do. a Jim Brooks this Christmas for you. If you loved her, <laughs> you'd get her a Jim Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank end. you. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop Popcorn. Imagine this, perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients, popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now.